Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is the Skate Podcast. Talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some beast talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 267 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Scott McLaughlin. Scott, every time we do one of these without Bridget, my initial reaction instinct is to is to say joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin because it's just so repetitive. But there's no Bridget today. She's broadcasting. She has broadcasting duties for college hockey this weekend. Yeah, she's she's here in spirit. But yeah, Brid, Bridget's in the middle of like her busiest stretch of the year. I think she had three Providence games this weekend between Providence College games between men and women's. And then she has the uh, the women's beanpot final, the first one ever at TD Garden on Tuesday. So we're, we probably won't have her for our next episode as well. So all the... All the Bridget fans who tune in only for Bridget, uh, we're, we're very sorry. <laughs> yeah, and then she also has the PWHL uh, obligations too that they'll yeah. be picking up as well. But yeah, I was gonna do one of those those lights that she has behind her just to <laughs> you know, in in memory of her. But she'll be back uh, as soon as she can, probably midweek. Um, so last night, Scott, the Bruins defeated the Canadians nine to four at the Garden. Uh, what one would call a rout of sorts, despite being a one goal game for the majority of it or back and forth, at least let's get right, right into the opening shifts because it's appropriate on a, on a day after they score nine goals for what you're about to t- talk about here. Yeah. The Bruins are suddenly an offensive juggernaut. Uh, since Christmas, they're the highest scoring team in the, in the NHL. And that was true when they got to five goals last night. So the next four were, were all gravy. Um, but yeah, obviously, like nine goals, you never expect that. But even Jim Montgomery said after the game, he kind of felt like this had been building because they had a lot of good offensive habits. They've been getting more offensive zone time, generating more chances, having more bodies at the net, more guys taking the puck to the net. Um, and yeah, they, they've only been held under three goals once in their last 13 games. They've scored five or more in six of those games. So they're, you know, I know we're going to get into like the balance of the lineup and, and individuals who stood out, but they've got a top line that's rolling with Marsh and Cole Pasternak, which I know you're going to get into more. They've got depth, you know, Danton Heinen starts that game as the fourth line right wing and ends up with his first career hat trick. Um, defenseman getting more involved. And, you know, it's just, it's impressive to see because I don't think any of us really thought you know, they were going to be the best offensive team in the league for any stretch of, of games. Um, and it's now going on almost a full month that they've outscored everyone else. Yeah, just a quick glance at the standings in the goals four column. I think I think they're tied for fifth in, in goals four throughout the league with, with Toronto. Uh, because it's a quick glance, I, I could have missed somebody on the bottom of the standings, but Generally, the further down you are, that you're not scoring more goals in the top of the league. But um, yeah, the balance scoring is is something that yeah we'll get into as well. And and yeah, and and you mentioned the top line, and that's my opening shift, which is which is Coyle, 
Pasternak and Martian. And, you know, I mean, Pasternak's been on fire all year, depending, no matter who he's playing with. Uh, Coyle's been steady. Martian's been, you know, steady, obviously, for 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 both of their standards. Um, Coyle elevating his game offensively this year. But since the three of them have been together, they've been lights out as a line. The last the last handful of games, all three of those guys, again, Pasternak always is scoring, but they're 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 clicking and there just seems I know we've talked about maybe splitting up Martian and Pasternak for balance, but to your to your point, the, the offensively they have been a juggernaut uh, in the last in the last month. And um and 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 balance balance doesn't seem to be an issue with those guys on the same line. So it's, it's weird, Scott. I feel like, I feel like every, every other week this year with this Bruins team, it's like, we'll talk about what their deficiencies are on paper and can it hold up in the postseason? But, and then every step of the way, aside from that, you know, three, three week stretch in December where they were kind of up and down, like, I don't know. They just, they're just, spitting in our face and, and and they're just like and again I'm, I'm i'm glad but i mean charlie coyle's playing like a you know he's, he's he's on pace for probably high 60s in points this year is that an elite number one center no but when you're part of a when you're a cog in a wheel of a machine that just keeps rolling i don't i i, I in, in all sincerity i can't sit here and point out flaws of this team when they're playing this well and 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 their top line um, with Marshan and, and Pashnak back together, Coyle has been a better fixture f- between them than Zaka was at times. And if the rest of the of the roster is going to to pull their weight like this, I <laughs> I'm kind of speechless. Like like let's see what happens with this team. Yeah, like I think we we all kind of felt like. You know, the, the reasoning behind splitting up Marsha and Pasternak is you didn't, you might not really have a, a real second line if you don't do that. You know, if you load them up, are you going to get enough from, from another line? And right now they are with that second line of Van Riemsdyk, Zaka, and DeBrusque. And, you know, Jake DeBrusque is, has just completely turned his season around and has been a, a point-per-game player for the last month, 13 points in his last 13 games just a force offensively um you know you'd see him score score a great goal taking the puck right to the front out of the corner and jamming it past Montembeau puck protection wheeling around the net to set up Zaka for a goal uh you know Zaka you wonder how he does away from Pasternak I think he's the points haven't been there as much recently but I think he's been playing pretty well and it was nice to see him get that goal because I think he's had a couple chances recently that, that haven't gone in, um, you know, thinking of like a couple one-timers or snappers from the high slot in particular. Um, Van Riemsdyk keeps playing well, especially when it comes to playmaking, he continues to just rack up assists. He almost scored a great goal on the power play, uh, dragging the puck through his legs, shooting through his legs. Um, he, you know, the, the moves he has in tight spaces down low are, the, the way he consistently is able to get to his forehand and get shots off is, is pretty impressive. Um, yeah. And then the, the bottom six, like they've Montgomery's clearly kind of changed how he approaches that group where, you know, he maybe isn't looking for a fourth line with a, a particular identity or toughness or, or whatever. Now he's kind of just looking for more balance. There. And you look at what he rolled out for Saturday night, you, he keeps Lauko on the third line with Geeky and Frederick. Potra comes back into the lineup and he's on, you know, again, like a quote unquote fourth line with Boquist and Heinen. Um, Potra ended up being one of only two skaters who didn't have a point. 16 out of 18 Bruins skaters had a point in that game. But I, I thought Potra played pretty well, especially, you know, first game back from injury. He was involved in a couple of chances. He was the one driving the net on, on Heinen's two on one. Um, you know, Heinen made the right call, obviously sticking with the shot and finishing, but Padre was, was right there and a part of that. So uh, yeah, suddenly it just looks like a, like a really balanced lineup where early in the season, you know, if you load up Marsha and Pasternak, I think you sit there and say, wow, it's a really top heavy lineup. Where's the rest of the offense coming from? Yeah. And, and you mentioned that fourth line and yeah, I mean, Denton Heinen gets his first hat trick uh, as, as an NHL pro. 
um, over 400 games, and he, he does so in a fourth-line role. I mean, obviously, his hat-trick goal came on the power play, and that was probably a bit of a, a way to try to get him that hat-trick. But, yeah, it's a line that you mentioned, Patra, Heinen, and, and Boquist, which, ironically, last episode I had mentioned, like, I would kind of like to see that because I was looking at the, you know, based on the roster and, 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 and the way that the lines were constructed as of late, I just saw an opportunity to see what that line could be as a fourth line. Again, like I, I love the idea historically of a, of, a, of, a, of a big, strong fourth line that can be well um, defensively, but can also impose their will physically on opponents, especially in a seven game playoff series. But those days are quickly kind of they're They're starting to vanish. And, and I think that the Bruins, nowadays can check with their feet um as well as checking with with the body just because it's it might not be the game i you know you, you love to watch all the time but it's it's the reality the game's changing a bit and like boquist and heinen and patrick and certainly that's a fast line that's a real it's, it's a really fast line you want to call them a fourth line or whatever i don't just that's a fast hockey line and and i think that's again this Bruins team, I'm not concerned with labels. Like, obviously, Pashnak, Coyle, and Marshan is a first line. But beyond that, it's like whoever's playing is playing. Um, taking away Pashnak from Zaka was something that I was starting to wonder why the Bruins were so reluctant to do so. We all love the idea of them playing together because they're countrymen and they played with, so well with Krejci last year. But they, they, they had kind of plateaued at times this year and, and, and why everybody, including us, were so reluctant to even consider splitting them up. I don't really know. But now that they have been split up, to your point, Zaka's playing really well with Van Riemsdyk and Jake DeBrusque. And I don't think it's a coincidence that in the last month, when Jake DeBrusque is a point-per-game guy, not that he has to be over the course of a whole season, but Jake DeBrusque starts scoring the way he can score. And now we're talking about a team that has the most the, the highest offense in the last month. It's not a coincidence. You need players on this team, not named David Pasternak, um, to carry their weight offensively, if not elevate their game. And you're starting to see that now. Um, it's what makes a difference between a team that's going to have a, a superstar burnout and having a team that's a well-oiled machine. And um, it's not just that we're happy for Jake DeBrusque for, for, for scoring personally, they need him. And that's why I was so frustrated with him earlier in the year up until a month ago, because I'm glad that he was playing well for the analytic darlings out there, but the team needed him to score. And we all knew that you like, we all knew that, but now that he is, it's just, it's vital to this team's success. And, and there's only so many guys on the Bruins roster that are capable of doing that. He's one of them. Now he's doing it. And here we go. Yeah, he, he's he's playing like a second liner, and now your second line looks like a second line. Like that, exactly. Um, yeah, I think the, the concern with taking Zach away from Pasternak was just what is Zach away from Pasternak? Just because we haven't seen it a whole lot in Boston. Like he's just been with them so much that you're like, okay, yeah, he had a career year last year. He's you know producing at a decent rate this year, but so much of it is with Pasternak. So if you take him away does that go down? Do you, you know, you worry, do you maybe start to see New Jersey level production from Zaka, which isn't really top six production. Um, and we'll see, you know, it, it's going to take a little longer before we know that answer for sure. I would just say like, I think he's playing like a top six forward still, even though the the points have been a little down, um, you know, and, and I think some of those same concerns are there for DeBrus because when he really started going, it was when he was on a line with Coyle and Marchand. And then you move those two up with Pasternak and you wonder, okay, does DeBrus kind of get left behind or can he keep it going? And to his credit, he's just kept playing the same way, if not gotten even better since, since leaving those two. So that's, you know, that's what you need to see is you need to see guys not have to be carried by one of Pasternak or Marchand on their line. Um, and right now, DeBrusque is certainly producing away from them. I think Van Riemsdyk's produced rel- somewhat consistently, no matter where he's been. He's made things happen, so he's up there on the second line now. And, you know, Zaka for now, a, a good fit there. And, 
you know, I think if, if some more points start to come for him, then it's, it's really going to look good. And, and you're going to have, you know, very few questions about that second line. Yeah. And, and also another combination that the Bruins might try at some point, I know I just talked about how I like the Boquist, Patra, Heinen look, but I, I was actually on YouTube recently and I was, I was looking at a uh, Boquist in New Jersey and there was a video of his like 2021, 20, 22 highlights or something like that. And virtually every goal and assist that he was a part of, you know, who else was a part of that play was Pavel Zaka. Um, and I, I, I think it's flying under the radar a little bit that those two played together in New Jersey and, and played pretty well. I think both those players were underwhelming if you ask New Jersey fans, but there's a, there's a history there of, of, of them playing together and, and producing at the NHL level. And, um, you know, prior to this iteration of Bruins forward lines playing so well, they're playing so well right now, you don't want to t- really touch anything. But I, but the, the thought did cross my mind of like, maybe they try, you know, Boquist, Zaka, and Pashnak at some point. Um, Which but, that they, they actually did try in training camp and maybe even a preseason game or two. Um, but he definitely took some shifts there and then, didn't quite stick and obviously didn't even make the team out of camp, but right. they, they did have that in mind at one point or, or at least wanted to see it. Yeah. And, and, and he's a different, he's a different player right now than he was in training camp. You know, there's probably a lot going on there, a new system um, nerves. I don't know, but he seems to be, you know, he's, he, he has surpassed Johnny Beecher on the depth chart and, and that, you know, Beecher, we'll get to Beecher and Laura, they, they got sent down to Providence. Um, Passion, drive and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives were consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call. Each week on alternate routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow alternate routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus. So, yeah, but, you know, overall, this Bruins team, offensively, they're, they're a top-five team in the NHL. Um, and the last month, as you mentioned, they, they're, they're the, the top offensive team in the NHL. And if you want to ask yourself why, how is that possible when they have Charlie Coyle and Pavel Zaka as your number one and two, number two centers when they could probably ideally be, you know, a two and three on a, on a championship team? Well, first of all, don't tell them that because they're just going to keep trying to prove us all wrong. Um, and that hockey is the ultimate team sport. But look up and down the lineup. The Bruins. I I I I looked this up quickly before we started recording. I believe there's only one team in the NHL with more 20 point scores um, so far this season, and it's Vancouver with 11. But the Bruins have 11. Uh, I'm sorry, nine players on their roster right now with at least 20 points in the season, and that's more than teams like Colorado. Toronto, Florida. Now, sure, Colorado's top three or four players might have more than 50 points. (laughs) But if we're illustrating depth for 20-plus points at least, the Bruins, I think, are second in the NHL with nine 20-point scores uh, at at the midway point here. And, you know, certain names that might surprise you could be Morgan Geeky with 22 points. 
Um, Trent Frederick, 24 points. But I think we all kind of expected Frederick to still be a good player this year. But And then just be, you know, so David Pashnak, Marshan, Coyle, McAvoy, Van Riemsdyk, Zaka, Frederick, DeBrusque, Geeky, all 20 points or more. Heinen, 17. Lindholm, 16. Potra, 15. And, you know, so on. But it's just, if, if you want to know how, simply put, you have a lot of guys contributing. Yeah, and and during this most recent stretch, like I just pulled up point totals over the last 13 games, and it's like those are all the guys leading it. I mean, obviously, Pasternak's just been ridiculous all season. He has 22 points in these last 13 games, um, four straight multi-point games. And stat that I looked up last night that's just crazy is he now has multiple points in more than half of the Bruins games this season, 23 out of 45. Um, just, just silly stuff. He's up to 66 points, 30 goals already. So third in the NHL in both of those. He's on pace for 120 points. He had 113 last year, and that was something we hadn't seen from a Bruin since Adam Oates in the 90s. Um, but by the way, Saturday night was the uh, new blood, new beginnings era, which covered – I don't, I don't know if that's an, the official name. I don't know that anyone's really calling it that, but uh, 1986 to 2000. Um, so celebrating uh, those Bork Neely teams that they highlighted the 88 team that ended the Montreal jinx. The Bruins had gone, I think it was 45 years without beating the Canadians in the playoffs, um, something like that. So that's that pretty cool. Once again, they just continue to do a really good job with these errors nights. Um but yeah, then after Pasternak, like Marchand has 15 points in 13 games. Coyle, 15. DeBrusque, I mentioned a point per game. Charlie McAvoy, remember how we were talking about he's playing okay, but not really Norris caliber level? Well, he's got 12 points in the last 13 games, and he's a plus 16. Like, that's pretty crazy. Frederick, 10 points. Geeky, 10 points. Hampus Lindholm has nine in the last 13 games now after, um, you know, obviously a very – quiet start offensively to the season for him. So you're seeing some defensemen get more involved too. Grizzly had a nice assist on Saturday. He has six points in the last 11 games. Um, you know, so it's just, it, it, it all just seems to be clicking right now of, of just everyone getting involved and chipping in and doing their part. And, you know, and they've done it without being completely healthy during this stretch. Like, you know, Potch has missed time. Carlos missed time. Forbert obviously just returned after, not that he's, you know, contributing a ton offensively, but he, he returns for the first time in, uh, you know, a month and a half. Mm. Look, I mean, 68 points between Vin Reamsdyke, Geeky, and Danton Heinen halfway through the season. I mean, I'm wearing a winter hat right now, so Scott, maybe you can do a little tip of the cap to Don Sweeney, but that is that is some serious um, bargain. <laughs> Uh, that's some serious bargain shopping in the off season. Um, and I, I think, I, I think right now is an appropriate time to talk about Denton Heinen. He gets his first hat trick as an NHLer. Uh, we all know his story this year, just kind of you know, his second sit with the Bruins um, sandwich sandwiched around, um, you know, brief stints in Anaheim and Pittsburgh for a little bit. But, you know, he comes, he comes to Boston on a PTO this off season. Dan Heinen is an NHL. He's, 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 he's a, he's an, he's a straight up, middle six NHL player, you know, middle six, fourth liner, you know, he's a Swiss army knife. He's, he's an NHL player. The fact that he did not have a contract going into the uh, um, training camp or even the regular season for that matter um, is very, very peculiar. And, and the Bruins capitalized, but, you know, for him to stick with it and, and know that he is that, 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 that kind of player doesn't have a contract at the drop of the regular season puck, despite having a good training camp. And, and look, he just gets, he gets a hat trick last night. He's got 17 points in 37 games. Um, Scott, what do, what do you what do you think of Heinen's story? It's just it's 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 a uh, you know not, I don't think there's going to be a Disney movie about him, but it's it's an inspirational story about sticking with it and believing in yourself. Yeah, it it is crazy that like he didn't have a single contract offer during the off season. Like he's still you know he's late 20s, like 27, maybe 28 now. Um, and you know, two years ago in Pittsburgh scored, I think 18 goals. It's, it's, 
it's wild. Like, yeah, he had a little bit of a down year last year, but he was playing down in the lineup in Pittsburgh. Um, and, you know, just just didn't put up as many goals as the year before. But to your point, it, like, he's he's just such a steady two-way player, consistently makes smart plays. Um, he can make things happen with the puck and a stick. He wins battles. Uh, he's smart defensively. Like, you would think I, – I keep thinking back. Someone tweeted this. I mean, I apologize for not remembering who it is, but – they're like every team's looking for a Danton Heinen, but they don't realize it's actually Danton Heinen. <laughs> like, like everyone wants that kind of Swiss Army knife player who can move up and down the lineup, play either wing, smart two hundred foot player. But then, like you see Danton Heinen's name, and it's like it's just not sexy enough. And for some teams decide they have to, they try to look everywhere else for it. Um, but yeah, credit credit to him for you know obviously taking advantage of the opportunity. Coming in a PTO, there's absolutely nothing guaranteed. And, you know, I think I'm sure Jim Montgomery, as his former college coach, wanted him to win a job. Like he wanted to see him do well in training camp and preseason. <clears throat> Excuse me. But he wasn't going to give him a, you know, wasn't going to give him a job if he didn't earn it. Like he can like him personally as, as much as possible. Um, but Heinen had to go out and earn that. And he did. And, and we all saw it. Like, we were saying by what halfway through the preseason schedule that, Hey, it looks like Danton Heinen should probably make this team. Um, and he just never, never really let up. And obviously then had to deal with the delayed starts of the regular season where he doesn't get a contract right away for, you know, for whatever reasons, for cap reasons, because the Bruins wanted to figure other things out on the roster. Um, and he did get off to, you know, a little bit of a slow star once he finally got going, which, again, had to be expected because everyone else was nine games into the season and he's starting at game one. Um, but yeah, he's, he's been incredibly valuable. Like the fact that he's at any line he's been on, he's fit in. And when you drop him down to that fourth line, it, it's a, such a clear upgrade in terms of what that line can do offensively, because we we've talked about it plenty, you know, when it was, Lauko Beecher Steen for for a long stretch of time it was like you'd like some of the things those, those guys were doing but they just weren't scoring and at some point a fourth line does have to contribute offensively yeah and they weren't scoring and they also weren't great defensively either right so I mean all those guys had minuses on the season uh, significant minuses for the most part um and yeah I mean Boquist Heinen in particular those two if you want to put Potra with them or somebody else that's fine but like that's that's that that's going to be a responsible NHL you know line with speed and you know when the Bruins traded away Danton Heinen for Nick Ritchie at the time I honestly like I was hand up kind of in the good riddance type camp because I remember and we started this podcast shortly after the Bruins got rid of Heinen I think it was maybe like. Yeah, maybe the following season. But when the Bruins lost to St. Louis, they lost to St. Louis in part because they 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 lost the physical battle of attrition over seven games. I felt as though St. Louis, uh, they imposed their will more on the forecheck, and they just I, th- I thought they won a lot more battles around the ice. I thought I thought Danton Heinen, along with others, were one of the Bruins that lost those battles. Um, I remember watching Game Seven against St. Louis and. And it's well documented. Everybody will sit there and say, oh, the Bruins blitzed him. Bennington stood on his head. He's the reason that they won. And eh, not really. The Bruins had a, the Bruins shot St. Louis for like the first 12 minutes of the game fine. And then St. Louis took over. And I remember watching that game and the Bruins were so sticking to their system. They're, they're waiting for St. Louis to make a mistake on four checks as opposed to going in and taking things from them. And for some reason, Heinen stuck out in my head as one of those forwards who just like was too busy worrying about where he was supposed to be from the X's and O's perspective, as opposed to just making shit happen. And, and I I don't think I was wrong at that time with that assessment. I think he was one of many Bruins that they lost a physical battle and they were, they were, they, they weren't a soft team by any means that year, but they, they weren't tougher than the team that won the cup. And I guess it's a long winded way of me saying I don't think I was wrong back then, but I also think that Dan Heinen is a different player now. 
And he seems to me like he's just more mature and he is more physical, not so much in like a, I'm going to run you over type of way, but he just, he goes to tougher areas and he's, he just seems like a stronger player on the puck and he, and he plays on the inside more. And that's a credit to him. Yeah. And, and he, I remember early, I don't remember if it was preseason or maybe early in the regular season, um, possibly like right after he signed the contract, he was asked like, how, how do you think your game's changed since the last time you were there? And that was the very first thing he said was, I think I've gotten a lot better at winning battles. Um, And he talked about learning, learning how to use his body, learning how to take better angles, get, get position on guys, get leverage um, and use a stick to take the puck away. So he's clearly focused on that uh, since the last time he was here. And you're right. You do, you do see the improvement. And, you know, I think back to, it was probably a few weeks ago at this point, but Montgomery every now and then will, will drop in some of their internal stats that they track. And at the time he had said like Heinen um, was one of their top guys in terms of winning one-on-one battles. I'm going to assume, you know, a few weeks later, that's still true because certainly to the eye test, I haven't seen anything that, would suggest that's gone downhill. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, what, like you're making a good point though, about being physical without necessarily having to throw a ton of hits. Um, because ultimately if you win a one-on-one battle with leverage, body position, good stick work, it accomplishes the same thing as winning it by just straight up knocking the guy off the puck with a hit. Like, yeah, it's sexier to do it with the hit. And in a, in a playoff series, there is value to that because you can physically wear teams down. You not that you want to sit here and say like, you're trying to injure guys, but you potentially beat some guys up and cause some injuries or some bumps and bruises that, you know, can, cause someone's play to decline the rest of the series. So there is value to it in the playoffs. And I think we're going to be talking about whether or not this Bruins team can do that in the playoffs. That's going to be a fair conversation to have. But in the meantime, though, if you're, you can do it other ways. You don't always have to be the most physical team. Obviously, you know, Bruins fans are scarred by that blue series. And it leads to a lot of thinking that you have to be the most, the more physical team to win, but there's also been teams that have won without being the most physical. I don't, I don't think Vegas was the most physical team in the playoffs last year. I don't think they're the most physical team in the Stanley cup finals. I think Florida was, um, but Vegas won. I don't think Colorado was the most physical team the year they won the cup. So there are other ways to do it. It it is actually possible. You don't just have to hit your way to a championship. Well, and, and, but there's an important distinction there because I agree with you. Um, there is a difference between there's a fine line, right? There's a bit of a difference between the teams that win the championship and the teams that beat the Bruins. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, like it, it does seem like St. Louis out physical, the Bruins, uh, the Islanders out physical, the Bruins, the Panthers out physical, the Bruins, um, Carolina, you know, 50, 50, but you know, a big team. So it's, Yes, it's you're right. You don't have to oh, hit your way to a championship, but there does seem to be a pattern that kind of gives the gives the Bruins trouble. In there's a commonality between teams that eliminate the Bruins from the playoffs. Um, at least that's what it appears to me from the outside looking in. Yeah, and I, I also think that's where you know Montgomery's made it such a focus to win net front battles and win battles down low. Um, you know, I think the Bruins will look at it and say, yes, they, they got out hit by Florida last year, but, you know, you're probably not completely changing that in one off season. Florida's still going to be a really physical team, but can you win more battles at your own net front against their guys? Can you get more pucks and bodies to their net front? And that's something that the Bruins for the most part have been doing this season. Um, they have been pretty good at both net fronts and especially this recent stretch, like they're getting a lot of goals by going to those areas and winning those, those battles and, you know, scoring kind of greasy goals. I mean, how, 
how many of those nine goals last night were scored like almost right at the net front? It's, you know, DeBrusque right across the crease to Zaka, um, Coyle right in front to Marsh and Heinen tipping in uh, a shot from Grizzly with two bodies at the front. I think it was geeky was also at the net front there. Like, yeah, th- those are the kind of goals you have to score in the playoffs. And I do think they're doing the work to score more of those this year than last year when they scored more goals in general, but so many of them were just, they're just straight up more skilled and more talented than, than the team they're facing. And they can almost score, you know, however they want. Yeah. And you know, that's what was so infuriating last spring was it wasn't just that the Bruins had more skill than the Panthers and, and most other teams. They also had the personnel to be a very physical team as well. Like, it blew my mind how much the Bruins are out physical last year. When you have a team that has Garnet Hathaway and Tyler Bertuzzi and Trent Frederick and Nick Felino and Charlie McAvoy and I mean just Dmitry Orlov, Dmitry Orlov, AJ Greer, who actually had, I don't think played a game. Um, you know, they just the Bruins were not they weren't a pushover last year physically. I just think, like, personnel-wise, the Bruins, they had a tough team on paper. They had a skilled team on paper. I think what happened was, yes, there were injuries, but they also were up three games to one with Bergeron and Krejci out. Um, I think what happened was the Bruins just, they ultimately, they just weren't, they weren't tested enough game in and game out last year in the regular season they weren't playing meaningful games for real. The only meaningful games they had was like, can we break a record? Um, and I think this year they they have to – they they're not on pace to surpass their point total from last year, but the Bruins are still accumulating points at a at, at a at a at a at an NHL best, just about. But they're earning those points in a much more blue collar fashion because they can't just rely on pure skill. So you might look at the standings between this year and last year, and the story might say based on the standings and the points, all the Bruins, they're not facing adversity this year either, but they are because the points are being earned in such a different um, variety this year that it's, it's just, it's different. They have to rely on a little bit more on on, uh, on meat and potatoes hockey, and that's better off for them in the long run. That's what happened with Florida last year. Florida was not the most talented team in the playoffs, certainly beyond Matthew Kachuk and uh, Sasha Barkov, but they found a way to play till June. Yeah, and just to touch on the standings, the Bruins are now seven points clear of the rest of the Eastern Conference, seven points ahead of both Florida and the Rangers. And it's funny, I feel like it was only – what last week, maybe a week and a half ago that Florida had pulled within a point or two points of them. And I said, I'm here. I was like, Florida might, might pull ahead of them and kind of run away in the second half. Like they, they might just be a team that's rolling. I think they had won nine in a row at that point. Um, now it's gone the other way. Like now it's the Bruins that have won four in a row. Florida slipped up a little bit here and all of a sudden the Bruins have, have that gap again. Um, and you know, goal different. Obviously, nine four win helps, but goal differential. They're like pulling away from the pack. They're plus thirty eight now. Florida's next in the East at plus twenty two. Um, only Vancouver and Winnipeg are better in the whole NHL. And by the way, this should be a great game coming up Monday night. Bruins Jets at at the Garden. Um, obviously, the Bruins got you know they were in Winnipeg just before Christmas and got embarrassed there. So. I think, you know, we all agree they're playing a lot better now. So this will be a kind of an interesting measuring stick game for them on Monday. Totally. Yeah. Especially after, yeah, you mentioned the the first loss they had against them, but one of their worst games of the season. But when you mentioned that about Florida, Scott, uh, at the time you said that, because I remember looking at the standings, as you mentioned that uh, the Bruins were ahead of the Panthers in the standings by a point. They had the same games played, but the Bruins were ahead by a point. But Florida at that time had three more wins than the Bruins. And the only reason the Bruins were ahead by a point was because they accumulated so many overtime losses. But now, 
as you mentioned, the four-game win streak by the Bruins, and Florida slipped a little bit. Now they have the same games played still, but the Bruins have a, uh, one more win than Florida. So even though that they were still ahead of Florida the whole time, they were they were ahead of them with three less wins. Now they have one more win, and it just speaks to um, the direction of not so much Florida is going, but the way that the Bruins just keep getting better and better. And and the Bruins win, Scott. They're coming in. They were winning earlier this year, but but they weren't convincing. Uh, they were winning games that I that they were getting outshot in a lot, and games that I think territorially they were getting outplayed. But right now they're winning games on the scoreboard and they're winning games, um, you know, between the boards too. Yeah. Uh, so I know we got to, we have to wrap up here in, in a few minutes, but want to make sure we talk about the defense. Um, Brandon Carlo and Derek Forbert both returned to the lineup on Saturday. We found out Saturday morning, Carlo revealed that it was another concussion for him, which obviously is concerning. It's the sixth, documented concussion of his career um he did say you know this one wasn't as serious as some other ones he wound up missing five games total um but he comes back in scores a nice goal actually driving driving the net and finishing off a pass from Trent Frederick um Forbert back in after you know a long time spent on on LTIR and the corresponding moves were Mason Lorai gets sent to Providence and Johnny Beecher also gets sent to Providence. So even though the Bruins are now one short of a full 23-man roster, because Forbert makes $3 million and was on LTIR, they actually had to send two players down in order to, to activate him. So what uh what were kind of what was your reaction to those, you know, those guys coming back, but also uh Beecher and Lorai being the ones to get sent down? Yeah, Beecher, I think, you know, he, he's been – the fourth line has looked better with Boquist. And can you put Beecher on a wing? Sure. But I have, I guess to answer your question, in short, I have no issue with Beecher going down for now because you have to continue to earn your spot, especially as a rookie. And don't forget, Boquist is a NHL-caliber player. Started the year in Providence, obviously, but, you know, he's – he has games under his belt at the NHL level, and he has point production under his belt at the NHL level. Um, I would look it up right now, but I, I don't want to waste time. But I, I'm sure Boquist might have a 15, 20-point season under his belt at some point. Um, Laura, I did not like. Uh, you know, I I, I I hate the idea of him going down to Providence if it's just purely transactional and it's short-term, whatever. But I think he's been a, a solid fixture and a very important player. Um, to the Bruins back end this year. Uh, he, he's very much been a part of their success. And what what disappoints me most is that we all know that skill and, and offensive creativity is Lorai's strengths, ironically, as a defenseman. But he, but physically and defensively, he was improving with every game. And I don't like the idea of sending down a player while they're on an incline and improving. And to make room for Derek Forber, I get it. I know I, I understand I, th- there's probably reasons contractually and cap wise why it just has to be done. But I also think it comes to the expense of Parker Watherspoon, who we talked about last episode too. And, you know, I, I'm looking at two guys in Grizzlick and Forbert and two guys in Laura and Watherspoon. And I'd rather the, the Watherspoon and, and Laura in the lineup right now over Forbert and Grizzlick. <laughs> so that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah. On, on Beecher, uh, yeah, I think he was kind of the natural choice up front. Um, he can go down without waivers. So even though I think maybe he might bring, you know, actually I think he does bring more to the table than Oscar Steen. Steen would have had to clear waivers. My guess is he probably would have. I don't think he would have gotten claimed, but it's so close. And, and you might be talking about the 13th forward that, you know, you might as well play it safe and send down a guy who doesn't need waivers and who needs to play more like being a 13th forward up in Boston, I don't think would be all that valuable for Beecher. Like send him down to Providence, let him keep playing, let him work on the, on really his all around game. I mean, I keep, you kind of said this earlier and like, I almost have to keep correcting myself. Like, yes, the offensive part of it, but there were things to be desired in his defensive game as well. Like you love the faceoffs. He he's been their best or second best faceoff man all year. Um, but that alone doesn't keep you in the lineup. So 
he he has stuff he can work on. That's fine. Steen's 25. He's he's a little bit more at a point where he kind of is what he is. You don't necessarily need him playing every day for developmental purposes. Um, on the blue line, I, I said this last episode. Like, I didn't. No one. No one deserved to come out of the lineup. No one deserved to get sent down. So it it is kind of just a tough situation where you know you can't like you can't keep forward on LTIR if he's healthy and clear to play you're, you know, a player might play the game with you for a little bit where it's like, Hey, can you be patient? We're going to really play it safe. We have some things we have to work out. You know, I think this happened a little bit with Taylor Hall last year. If you remember, like at one point there's that leak through Darren Dreger that Taylor Hall had been cleared, but was still on LTIR. Like at some point you're going to run into NHLPA issues. If you just, try to stash a guy on LTIR um, because no one wants to like Derek Forbert doesn't want to sit there and be like, okay, I'm ready to play, but what I have to stay on LTIR. So Mason Laura, I can keep playing like, no, thanks. I'm ready to play. Um, so some, someone had to go. And I think it, I think Grizzly's been playing better. So he's going to stay in the lineup. He's on the roster. Maybe there's a trade coming at some point, but I don't think there's anything imminent there. So it had to be either Lorai or, or Wotherspoon. And uh, Lorai can go back and forth without waivers. Wotherspoon, because he he was technically an emergency recall this whole time, um, actually could have been sent back down. But then the next time he got called up, he would have needed waivers. So no matter what, you'd eventually run into a waiver situation with him. And the way he's playing, I you know, I think he deserves to be here. Like he's played really well. I think he's kind of an ideal sixth, seventh defenseman who can fit in anywhere, can play either side, um, defensively responsible. And, you know, I guess similar to Beecher, like you do want Lorai playing every game. You want him playing every night. That's ultimately what's going to be best. So if he was going to be in and out of the lineup or not playing every day, um, you know, you, you probably have to send him down. But, yeah, I, I'm with you, though. Like he, he was playing better i think he did sewing um so it's, it's unfortunate uh yeah scott you, you kind of broke up there at the end but um yeah i mean i think what you were saying was that yeah he like it's unfortunate because everybody involved was playing well um i mean do you think that do you think their best top six right now is uh personnel wise is lindholm mcavoy carlo lorai watherspoon and shattenkirk i mean it, that's how I've, again, I again injuries happen. It's not a big deal for half of this season, um, but I I do think that's kind of their. It's not their most experienced, but so I don't want to discredit Grizzlick and Forbert's NHL ten years. That's disrespectful because they have proven to be solid NHL players. Um, but right now, I kind of like that 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 six defenseman personnel. But again, it's not the end of the world. It is what it is, and a lot of it's gamesmanship and semantics and hurdles you have to jump over as an NHL GM. Yeah, I it's so close that like I don't like if I'm being honest, I think over the last maybe week and a half, two weeks, I do think Grizzlick's probably played a little bit better of an all-around game than than Lorai. But it, it's really close. And like that's a it's a credit to both of them, honestly, because Grizzlick had really been struggling the first half of the season and I think has started to find his game again. Um, I thought him and him and Mac now look, it's, it's a nine, four game. It's Montreal. They're not a playoff team, but him and McAvoy were dominant when they were on the ice Saturday. Um, they were a plus three and, and the Lindholm Carlo pairing was also a plus three as a pairing. Um, I, I, it's tough. Like I, I do think Wotherspoon's probably playing, I'm going to say he's playing better than Forbert right now. Like Forbert looks rusty, but it's also his first game in a month and a half. Um, you're going to give him a chance to shake off the rust and, and try to get going here. So Wotherspoon would probably be in for me, and then Lorai versus Grizzlick would be v- very close. Um, and that's where, like, Lorai loses out just because he's he's younger and he can go down without waivers, and that's unfortunate, but it's part of the business, and he's not – 
it's not the first time it's happened with him this year and it's not the first time it's happened with a young player in general. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, you know, barring any sort of trade that we don't know about um, one way or another, these guys are all going to have their, their fingerprints on what happens to the Bruins this year. Good, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, Before we go, Scott, also worth mentioning Brad Marchand's 11th consecutive 20 goal season as a Bruin. Is that correct? And that's a, uh, it's a team record. Yep. Broke a three-way tie. He, uh, Bergeron and Johnny Busick also had 10 in a row. So he broke that tie. And of course he gets asked about it after the game. And the first thing he says is it's too bad. We had that lockout year or or it'd be my whole career, which is true. He he would have hit 20 that year too. Um, so yeah, a little unfortunate. He's got 13 total now, but, uh, 11 straight. So just, wow. just an, an impressive feat, just, you know, a nod to, to his consistency year, year after year. And obviously he's had quite a few seasons that have gone well above 20 and this will be another, you know, he's got 20 through 45 games. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, that's an impressive run. Yeah. I mean, especially, especially in a year like this for them, it's their centennial season a season of honoring and, and celebrating the last 100 years of the franchise and to do so in, in this year is really, is really special. And, you know, another, another feather in his cap as an all-time Bruin, you know, obviously a top hundred player. Um, I think he made the all Bruins team as well. Right. Yep. So, I mean, <clears throat> just between him and Pasternak, you know, witnessing, you know, we, we get to watch some of the greatest Bruins to ever do it. Um, but okay, so yeah, so Scott, you mentioned that they got the Jets on Monday. That's a great game. Um, and yeah, uh, I think that probably wraps it up, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, only league note, this is just going to be fun to watch how this goes, is <laughs> Patrick Waugh is the new head coach of the New York Islanders, Lou Lamorello with classic, you know, big Lou midseason bomb toss just firing his coach and bringing in Patrick Watts so mm-hmm. um yeah that, that's gonna be fascinating that's a team that obviously has really been struggling recently and quickly falling out of the playoff race trying to uh trying to save their season and I guess mm. you know obviously hoping this does it but they gotta they gotta screw and bolt down those those middle glass stanches between benches <laughs> down over there in, in Long Island um I'm sure Patrick Wah will have a wonderful time and have no headaches at all trying to coach an offensively <laughs> challenged Islanders team historically. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- this year defense has been their problem. That that team has been awful defensively. Like if you look at the analytics, it's so it, yeah, I don't, yeah. I, I don't know if he can save them, but going to be mm-hmm. fascinating to watch him try. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And what the very last note from me, people watch a uh, Bridget on the bean pot final call Tuesday night. Uh, mm-hmm. women's women's bean pot bu versus northeastern so go terriers yeah yeah i mean this is a great great couple weeks of hockey coming up um scott has his terriers playing the eagles and some back-to-backs before the bean pot um for the men's bean pot um that'll be fun to watch and yeah just a, uh, january february is a great time for for hockey in uh in the in the massachusetts and new england area so um yep yeah, that wraps it up for scott and i thanks for listening have a wonderful work week and we will talk to you guys on wednesday